Well, we've talked about some of the biggest week one non-conference opportunities for the Pac-12, but what about the other weeks? We get into another chunk of the Pac-12 football non-conference schedule in 2022. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play by play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. I appreciate all of you who have done so already. And I appreciate all of you who like hopping in the comments, interacting with me, asking questions, posing ideas, pushing back on my takes. I love all that sort of stuff. Please, please, please keep it up as long as you're nice but like 99.99% of you are so I'm not that worried about it the non-conference slate for the Pac-12 in 2022 has got some major 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 opportunities that was kind of creepy sorry but let's look at the other ones because I, I looked at week one a couple episodes ago and now we're gonna we're gonna dive in this week on uh the rest of the non-conference slate for the Pac-12 and kind of you know where where there are some big opportunities and then maybe at some point I'll do kind of an overall grade on you know, are they playing enough tough teams or, you know, that, that sort of thing. But that will come later. Let's get into other notable non-conference games this year as uh, we're less than 100 days away from college football. Mm, grand and glorious. Week two, Washington State at Wisconsin. This is an interesting game. I could see the Cougars going in there with uh, Cam Ward, the incarnate Ward transfer. That's W-A-R-D, the name of the quarterback, and W-O-R-D, the uh name of the school in the WAC um, <laughs> at the FCS level. I could see them going in there with Cam Ward at quarterback and Eric Morris, his former head coach over there, uh, now the offensive coordinator for uh, for the Cougs. I could see him going into Madison and winning this game. I, I really could. Wisconsin has been very prone, including 2021, to getting off to slow starts on the football field. And then sort of finishing strong as the year goes on. So I think that is entirely possible. Another scenario that I could foresee is Wazoo goes in there and gets whacked by 20 or more. I, I could really see both, you know, the Cougars go in there and Cam Ward hasn't quite acclimated. And he's only had one game under his belt at, at the FBS level. And that's against Idaho, which is an FCS school. So he'll be playing, you know, his, his first big time game and it's not just the the adjustment and skill and size and speed and all that sort of stuff it, it, it's the pressure of it as well i mean it feels different when you go you're going to go into madison in week two wisconsin off a nine win season will have hopes going into the year they will have a rabid fan base who are going to go with their jump around at the end of the third quarter that feels a little bit different than any game cam ward has played at this point in his college career is he a talented guy yes i think so but how quickly he acclimates, I think, is going to determine how successful Washington State will be this year, but specifically in this game because, you know, he gets a tune-up against Idaho, but it's not an FBS tune-up. So I, I think there's another level there, especially with a program like Wisconsin that has, you know, contended for Big Ten championships and come on, on the cusp of college football playoff one year, and they've been to Rose Bowls, and they've lost to Oregon twice in those Rose Bowls and such because they just can't quite get over the hump. I think they beat Stanford... 
Maybe it was a stand. No, that was Mich- that was Michigan State. Wisconsin struggles in the Rose Bowl, but they get there, right? And it's a very you know physical, bruising team, and that that's not what Washington State is known for. You know, having the guys in the trenches keep up with school like that. So I could see them winning the game somehow. I could also see them not scoring a touchdown, losing the game. You know, twenty four to nine, and just scoring three field goals. But is it an opportunity? Yeah, it's a huge, huge one there for Jake Dickert and the Kooks. Speaking of big opportunities. If you want to talk about the potential to change a narrative around a program, one that has had basically no good headlines this offseason, completely revamped assistant coaching staff, questions about the head coach, recruiting has taken a nosedive into the ground and has blasted itself, hitting rock bottom, other analogies and whatnot. Week two, Arizona State goes at Oklahoma State, which was literally, literally that far from the college football playoff in 2021. That is a major opportunity. If ASU goes in there with Emory Jones and finds a way to win that game, that can completely change the way we view Arizona State, the way we view Herm Edwards, and it could buy him a lot of leeway for a guy whose seat seems to be getting hotter and hotter off of an eight-win season, which is not something you say very often, but at Arizona State, I won't say the expectations are sky high, but the results so far with Herm Edwards, I did my coaching grade of him uh, not long ago, and I'll be doing Jed Fish later in today's episode. The results have been kind of middling with Herm Edwards. There's been, uh, there have been a couple of years where the recruiting was good, but the on-field results just haven't matched yet. And so if they go into Stillwater and win that game against a good program, and what should be a really good team in the Big 12 in Oklahoma State, they knock off the Cowboys. That is a program-changing win. That I mean, just we will completely shift the way we look at Arizona State if they can win that game. Uh, two more. Arizona against Mississippi State. Now, the good news for the Wildcats is they have Mike Leach's new team at home. And so the Bulldogs will be coming in, you know, Hell State and all that sort of stuff, and they'll be big-time favorites. And they should be because Mississippi State, in the SEC, a superior conference. They're a respectable team over there. At least they have been the last couple of years with Mike Leach at the helm. And Leach, obviously, very familiar with uh, the conference, though he hasn't gone up against Jed Fish just yet. But it'll get the chance in week two. It'll be in Tucson. And I think if you're Arizona, you're looking at that game and saying, could that be the first signature win of the Jed Fish era, right? There's only been one win, and it was against Cal, and it was 10-3. to And it was ugly, but it was a win. So it's something. But as you work towards building a football program, every coach, I think, you know, at some point has that signature win that kind of gets the buy-in from the fans and the alumni base and the donors and gets some media attention as well. Like, whoa, they beat who? Wow, I don't know if I saw that one coming. I mean, if you can think of every Every school, every coach has got that where they come in. I mean, for, you know, Washington years ago, it was when they thumped Oregon. It was like, whoa, that that was a that didn't that didn't used to happen. But it was Chris Peterson at the time, and he was a very successful head coach. But that was one of his first kind of signature wins. I don't know if it was the first per se, but it was certainly one of them. Speaking of the Ducks, Chip Kelly, 2009, beats the crap out of USC at Austin Stadium, 47 to 20. That was the first big-time signature win. There were other good wins that preceded that, but that was the first major one. 
every coach has got to have that to get buy-in from fans, alumni, from the players as well. I mean, it can do wonders for your locker room and the culture around your football program. If you're able to win a game like that, it'd be a big upset. But if Arizona is able to do it there and they've got some talent, now they've got Jaden Delora at quarterback. And if he's healthy there in that week two game, they're at home, right? They're at home. And I think that's a point where Arizona should be able to pick up a week one win. I have to double check their schedule. They did lose to NAU last year, but let's say they pick up a week one win. If you're going into that one and oh, that's a major opportunity. I think the fans in Tucson will will show out. Uh, there's another game, and I'm not even going to get to all the big non-conference games today because there are so many, and they all deserve a full run-through. But the Beavers have got another one. Now, who's their opponent going to be? I'll tell you after I remind you, Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, Go Mariners, and of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC to boxing. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. By the way, I was talking about signature wins. How about Chip Kelly at UCLA this past year against LSU? That's one that, you know, kind of put the Bruins back on the map a little bit and kind of got them on the radar back in the top 25 for a little bit before they, they had a couple stumbles, notably against Fresno State. Oh, hey, look at that. Fresno State. Week two, Oregon State at Fresno State. I'm also just now realizing that uh, Arizona's week one opponent is San Diego State. Uh, I had that written down in my notes, and I just now realized that. So they might very well be 0-1. If you can win either of those games, it's a good sign for Jetfish. But uh, the Beavs and Jonathan Smith entering year five in Corvallis. Boise and Fresno are the two non-conference, non-Power 5 opponents that Oregon State has lined up this year. As far as program tradition goes over the last decade or so, it, it doesn't get much tougher if you're keeping things on the western half of the United States at the group of five level than Boise State with former Oregon defensive coordinator Andy Avalos as their head coach and San Diego State, another former Oregon defensive coordinator and Brady Hoke. Hoke was a disaster in Eugene. My goodness, he was bad. He was terrible in Michigan, too. But uh, he has found a second win in his second stint down with, uh, with San Diego State. But uh, Boise and Fresno. That's tough. That is that is really tough. And the Pac-12 saw just how tough Fresno State can be. Now, Kalen DeBoer is not there anymore, right? He's up at Washington, so maybe that game will be a little bit easier. But if you're Oregon State, you win both of those games, and then I think they play Montana State, FCS school. I'm, I'm not so sure they wouldn't be at least getting a couple votes for the top 25 if they start 3-0. I, I could see it. It's not impossible. But I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a tougher non-Power 5, non-conference schedule that stays basically entirely on the West Coast, right? Fresno State in California, Boise State in Idaho, Idaho, basically the West Coast. So I think that's a fascinating situation for the Bees that they've got a really good opportunity there. And I, I just, those are a tough couple games. You, you, and you have to go at Fresno State too. They get Boise at home, I believe. Correct me in the comments if I am wrong on that, but I believe they have Boise at home, and then they go at Fresno. 
those are a couple of, of significant games there for Jonathan Smith in the Beavs here in, in 2022. Uh, we'll keep rolling with this, looking at non-conference games and big-time opportunities that are upcoming, getting you ready for a season that is less than 100 days away. And now we move into our next coaching evaluation here on Locked On Pac-12, and that is the aforementioned Jed Fish down at Arizona. Now, his evaluation, I think, is a little bit tricky because he's very early in his tenure, and it'll get even tougher, but don't worry. I'll still be able to make it work and whatnot. When I move into coaches who have not actually been coaches yet in the Pac-12, right, the four new ones, Kalen DeBoer, Dan Lanning, Lincoln Riley, and I'm blanking on the other one at the moment. But... um, why am I blanking on the other one at the moment? That, that I don't know why I do that sometimes. Sometimes your brain just says no. Well, okay, so Jake Dickert is kind of new. That's who I that's what I was thinking of, right? He's like new-ish. He was the interim head coach, but like this will be his first full season. So we're gonna consider him a, a new coach overall. But the guy we're talking about right now is Jed Fish. And when you look at the coaching evaluation of Jed Fish overall. I'm giving him a B minus. And remember, five categories here. Overall, recruiting, game management and scheme, player development, assistant hires. Right now, I'm giving Jed Fish a B minus, which I think is slightly above average. Now, that's a tough thing for me to defend. I'm going to here after a 1 and 11 first season. That's pretty darn rough. But what you have to remember about Jed Fish's Arizona Wildcats when he came in in 2021 down from the NFL is he was taking over a disaster of a football program that had lost 12 consecutive games. I will say that again. When Jed Fish became the head coach, Arizona football had lost 12 in a row. That's, uh, as one guy says in the big short, uh, it's not great. Okay, so it's it's really not what you would like to be taking over, but he's you know, done about as good a job as you can. Like, I won't say it's been perfect because it was still a 1-11 season. We've seen coaches come in and do, you know, a, a, a quicker turnaround than that. He did start 0-8. They lost the NAU. You should never lose the NAU. I don't care if you've lost 12 in a row. You should not lose the NAU as a Power 5 football program. That's not a thing. That's not a thing that should ever happen. That's why this grade isn't higher, right? I, I'm tempted to give him a B or a B plus. I think he should be above average, but that loss against NAU, that is 100% glaring there. But overall, B-minus recruiting, I give him an A. I absolutely give him an A. And if you've been watching this entire series I've been doing, evaluating these coaches, you know I do not hand out A's like candy on Halloween. I do not. But he gets an A for recruiting. Because who in their right mind saw a top 25 caliber high school recruiting class down to Tucson, not a historical football power or recruiting power, who saw that coming after a 1 and 11 season? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? No, me neither. It's remarkable. It's it's really remarkable. Remarkable what he's been able to do on the recruiting trail so far. And you know, typically you would build little by little on the trail and I would say all right, incremental progress here, right? Getting the ranking up from what it was the previous year. You got to keep building, keep going for. I mean, they just shot up the, the recruiting rankings in the class of 2022. And I, you know, I was thinking like, oh, you know, if you can get the top 50, that'd be good. But top 25 right now. I mean, if he keeps recruiting at this level, I think the on-field results are at least going to be a lot easier for him to, to deliver, which is certainly something that Wildcats fans are hoping that he's able to do. But the other thing you have to factor in with their, uh, with their recruiting classes is the transfer portal. And they've been pretty darn good in the transfer portal. 
They have the 30th ranked portal class this year. They had Jaden Delora, the Pac-12 freshman of the year, who's likely going to be their starting quarterback. They had Hunter Eccles, an edge player from USC with some big physical upside. Didn't quite deliver with the Trojans, but was still a solid player in the conference. You had Jacob Cowing, a four-star rated transfer and probably a preseason. Uh, I was reading somewhere, and I'll do a breakdown here uh, in in the coming episodes and such, but I was reading somewhere Cowing, like a, first, a preseason first-team all-caliber receiver after a wildly productive year at UTEP a season ago for the Miners down in El Paso. I mean, that's a lot of really good stuff. They beat out Oregon for Tetairoa McMillan, the, the the receiver. That should just be McMillan. I don't know why I said McMillan, but, you know, T-Mac, as they call him. I mean, there have been a lot of good things. So recruiting right now for Jed Fish gets an A. His game management and scheme, not going to get as high of a grade. I'll tell you why after I remind you that you probably love chocolate brownies, you know, and I do too. I mean, who doesn't? My brother, for one, but that's because he's weird. And if you like chocolate brownies, how would you like to, you know, maybe incorporate like a caramel swirl in there? Does that sound good? Yeah, I, I bet it does. Now, what if I told you you could get all that chocolatey, chewy, ch- chocolatey, chewy, caramely deliciousness with 17 grams of protein? That was a mouthful, but I want to have a mouthful of caramel brownie bars from built you gotta act fast because they're a fan favorite forget about dessert they have 17 grams of protein 130 calories only four grams of sugar go to built.com use promo code lock 15 get 15 percent off your order that's promo code lock 15 for 15 percent off at built.com the game management and, and scheme for jed fish is not something that he gets a particularly high mark. So for me, C is average. C plus, slightly above, B minus, even more so, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We always say et cetera. It's actually et cetera, if you didn't know, right? ETC. Anyway, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so his game management scheme in this point, uh, to me, grades just below average, right? I don't think it's been so bad that it's been a D plus because he's working with, with a huge, huge talent deficiency at Arizona right now. But he comes into a situation with a bad roster, right? I mean, like we, we understand that, but I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier and I stand by that particular claim, which is coaches have come into bad situations and turned things around in terms of wins and losses better than Jed fish has done so far. And though the talent is a part of that and they just don't have the players and they need to get some recruiting wins, which they've been doing. The other component to it is, you had better players than NAU and you still lost that game at home. That's not, that's not great. Now, can he develop as a game manager and schemer and play caller? Yes. This grade can always, all of these grades can, you know, go up or down or stay the same depending on how things continue to go. And next off season, you know, of course we'll be doing that. And so that's why you should like and subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show right now. So you can stay up to date with that sort of stuff and see if my opinions do end up changing about these coaches, because it's likely to happen with more than one head football coach in the pac 12. But I, I think we've, we've seen great scheme coaches come in before and make a big time impact. I think Lincoln Riley's about to do that at USC right? They don't have all the guys, though they have a lot of them from the transfer portal, but not all the guys that they'll have from a roster depth perspective that they'll probably have in like two or three years. But just schematically, if you put Lincoln Riley, even with you know what USC had a season ago, not what they have now, but if you put Lincoln Riley as the head coach, they would not have gone four and eight, right? He would have improved them by a couple games and Jed Fish 
hasn't shown that yet. So he gets a C minus in the game management and scheme department. And I, I think he's just, he's still got a lot to prove as a play caller and as a, a game manager, but it's very early in his tenure. So this grade can go up, but the early returns, not what Arizona fans probably would like to see, but uh, the recruiting returns. Yeah. They've been good so far. Uh, player development. I can't give him a grade yet. He's only been there for one season. So that that's TBD. Um, you know, they had a quarterback carousel a season ago. That certainly couldn't have helped with the, the scheme and game planning and such. But I, I think we wait to make a determination there and say, okay, let's see how he does develop some of the young freshmen that he's bringing in. Or can his staff elevate any of the transfers that I was alluding to a moment ago or help them, you know, kind of work in seamlessly? How does Jaden Delora look after being the Pac-12 freshman of the year? Does he take a major step forward with a guy who's got uh nfl credentials having worked under sean mcbay and bill belichick or does he take a step back because it doesn't click and delores more used to a college offense that sort of stuff we're just gonna have to wait and see but finally here assistant hires i give him a b i I think he's been pretty darn good here now one hire i i like his defensive coordinator a lot more than his offensive coordinator his offensive coordinator is brennan carroll who is pete carroll's son and he was the run game coordinator and offensive line coach for the Seahawks for the last couple of seasons. Um, I am a diehard Seahawks fan because I hail from the Pacific Northwest, painfully. And yeah, I'm a Mariners fan too. Yeah, I know. It's it's terrible. It's really, really awful and whatnot. But um, when I look at run game coordinator and O-line coach for the Seahawks and think about how those elements of the team have been over the last couple of years, they've kind of stunk. Now, the upside of hiring Brennan Carroll is he adds to the pedigree of the staff that will help on the recruiting trail and clearly has, which is when you come down from the National Football League to the college ranks and you have to make a pitch to recruits, normally that pitch is going to include some semblance of, I know what it takes to get to the NFL and I can help you get there. That's what I like about Brennan Carroll, but run game coordinator, O-line coach. Not quite as high on that particular uh, decision there as as his offensive coordinator for Jedfish, but I do like the defensive coordinator that they've hired. Johnny Nansen is his name, and his resume to me at this point in time is better than Brennan Carroll's, and here's why. He was a 2017 Pac-12 recruiter of the year. If you're going to rebuild a program, you got to recruit. He clearly knows how to do that, and according to 24-7 Sports, he was the best in the conference five years ago. He was the defensive line coach at UCLA, and their run defense was really, really good. So whereas what Carroll was managing was not so good with the Seahawks, in the conference, Nansen was over at UCLA, and their run defense was really good. Now, Jerry Azanero was a terrible defensive coordinator, didn't coach the guys very well, and just blitzed the house every time on third down. Their pass defense was atrocious, but their run defense was pretty darn good. This past season... Under Johnny Nansen as the defensive coordinator, Arizona was second in the Pac-12 in passing yards allowed uh, per game, but their rush defense was pretty bad. And so I think as Nansen gets to you know recruit his own guys and implement a system, if that area can improve, then the defense is going to continue to improve. And the other thing that I, the other reason that I like Nansen at least so far in in his tenure with the Wildcats down in Tucson is. Every major defensive metric for the Wildcats on that side of the ball improved from the previous season. 
to me, that's an immediate impact, right? Talking about Jed Fish and the, he's the head coach, he's a play caller, so he you know bears the the responsibility of wins and losses at the end of the day. Schematically, he hasn't been able to come in and make a big turnaround there. But Nansen, I'm seeing a bunch of tangible steps statistically. And just when you watch them play, I mean, they held Cal to three points. Now, Cal doesn't have a very good offense, but still, you held a conference opponent to three points. Oregon didn't even score that many points on them in Otson Stadium until the end of the game. And that was including a defensive touchdown. Like the defense has done some nice things. So I think that's a good hire. And that's why I, I give Jed Fish a B right now for his assistant hires one year in. Not as high as Brennan Carroll, but Johnny Nansen early returns, I think pretty good. Assistant hire is a B. Player development, TBD. Game management and scheme, C minus. Recruiting an A overall, a B minus for Jed Fish as he enters year two in 2022. I appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.